Greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I am John Howard and I'm joined by Tim Foster, my colleague. Hi, John. And today we have a pair of redistricting gurus right here, right here on this very stage. Matt Rexrow, redistricting insight, Paul Mitchell of redistricting partners. And we're going to talk about redistricting. Thank you both for coming. Thank you for having us. Although I don't share the guru label lightly, uh, but I guess <laughs> Matt, Matt knows his redistricting. Of course, it's poetic license. You know, what can I tell you? So, okay, here's the first question. Matt and I were talking about this earlier. My first question is, there's all this attention paid to the maps that were uh, released Wednesday. But these are transitory, temporary. They're, they're going to get reworked, right? So what's the, the drop-dead final day when we get the final maps, we can start actually figuring out who's got what? Well, these are draft maps. Um, it's interesting because the commission started with these visualizations, which we called redistricting Roomba. They were just kind of like going around the state, bouncing into walls. <laughs> and they were telling us on Twitter and in the meetings, like, these aren't maps. These are just like exercises. And then they got to like the part where they were running up against the deadline to release draft maps. And all of a sudden they're like, uh, okay, these are maps now. And so like, all of a sudden the visualizations became draft maps and they started making in different plans. They made more changes than less than in others. But um, uh, so the visualizations weren't maps. Then they were, these are draft maps and they'll say, Oh, these are only drafts. They're not the finals, but at some point they're going to be the finals. And we might see the same thing where like some people who are not paying attention find themselves with this version of the maps from the drafts, just kind of being, you know, continually pushed forward to become a final map. Um, but then there are other places where we think that, you know, there might still be more changes. The commission uh, has said, uh, Sarah Sadwani, one of the commissioners said that she took a chainsaw or they took a chainsaw to the maps for the congressional plan, uh, you know, as they were developing the draft, but from here on out, it was only going to be a scalpel, um, and then later said also that she thought that the LA County, uh, congressional maps would probably have a big revision regarding VRA stuff. So, I mean, it's kind of up in the air as to what this, uh, you know, how much transformation we're going to see between the draft maps and the finals, but I think people should be paying real attention to these draft maps. There might be some parts of the state where we don't see much change between now and the finals. Hey, Matt, what would change, uh, the maps where they are now? to the way they might ultimately come out by December 27th, I think it said, what, what force, what would change, what causes the change? What's the catalyst there? Well, the, the hard part about this is everyone thinks, well, I just want to change this one district. And especially for congressional maps, that just doesn't work, right? You don't get to just change one district because whatever change you make impacts a lot of others. And, and um, you know, there's been articles written about what happened kind of with Stanislaus County and moving some things around in Sacramento which changed the, all of Northern California for several of the maps. So I, I think that there is some continuing evolution in terms of the commission's understanding of the Voting Rights Act and its implications. Um, there's also some um, members of the commission who would like to change certain things, particularly in the area where they live. Um, and Paul's right, the commission voted on these maps, but then they all had buckets of changes that they wanted to make. Um, and it's really hard for somebody to say, well, I just want to do this one thing over here, and that's all that's going to change. It doesn't really work that way. Seems like we always get Voting Rights Act suits 
uh, at election time in some counties, some areas. Do you, do you see any apparent violations of, of the Voting Rights Act and the maps, maps that you've seen so far? Commission's supposed to adhere to legality here, obviously. So I'm just wondering, does anything leap out at you? Well, I would say that the draft, I think the draft maps, particularly for the legislature, are going to change in the San Fernando Valley regarding Voting Rights Act, regarding Latinos. But um, there were, in the visualizations that weren't draft maps that we saw previously, there were some enormous problems with the Voting Rights Act. And Paul's been really vocal about the African-American community in Los Angeles. Um, There was a huge problem by not drawing that Latino seat that was is crystal clear in the center of Orange County. And so it's been evolving throughout. And once again, those changes don't just impact just that district, right? It's everything around them. I saw Josh Harder's name come up and Devin Noon's name come up as two people would be mightily impacted by the maps, at least as they were proposed. Also, uh, Doris Matsui, um, her district. Do you, do you see this following through on that or are they particularly vulnerable here, especially the two Central Valley seats, I'm wondering. Well, I, I, I'm sorry to cut you off, Paul, but I, I'm still mystified by candidates announcing for various offices based on draft maps. That's, that's comical to me. And when people talk about their experienced leadership that they're going to provide, if you're announcing for office based on draft maps, you're not experienced and you're demonstrating poor leadership, most probably. So I don't buy it. Um, so they should just wait a little while. But these draft maps, particularly in the areas that you're talking about, are draft maps. People shouldn't get too wedded to them. And announcing for candidacy under draft maps is just stupid in my mind. Yeah. And I think there's like, you've got to probably think about it in terms of families of the kind of quote unquote harm that can happen to an incumbent in the redistricting and what we're seeing so far. So there are, uh, the first family is, your seat just disappeared. And that's what we have with Roy Ball Allard in LA. The most Latino district in the country uh, was just eliminated by a public redistricting commission, an independent redistricting commission who has repeatedly voiced their focus on maintaining uh, the VRA and ensuring that they're not diluting voting rights, particularly for the state's growing uh, Latino, Asian, and, and African-American populations. The, so that is a glaring issue that I'm sure the commission is going to have to deal with. And it's not like you can just poof, new congressional district in the middle of LA without affecting everything else, like Matt said. Um, there are some things you can do to her area uh, to create her district back, but it will impact multiple districts having to kind of move out of the way and make room for that seat in the middle about I'd guess two thirds of a congressional district can be pieced in with part of what they currently have in Long Beach to create that new district, but it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to impact a lot. The second family is uh, members whose districts have gone quote unquote away from them, but like they're still there. Uh, You know, Mike Garcia is on Twitter complaining. Uh, You know, he's saying, I'm a Latino and I'm the only Latino Republican elected since 1883. And, uh, but this new plan, uh, you know, is a gerrymander to kick me out of office. I, I mean, I'd argue it's a more Latino district. So there you go, Mike Garcia, enjoy it. Um, but uh, the rea- you know, it means that that seat is less electable for him. And the same thing with the Harder district, that Harder's district the commission, and I don't know what Matt's perspective of this uh, is, but the commission was really focused on doing the San Joaquin moving around stuff. And 
in the process of that, this harder district got created, which was just like a bunch of leftovers, um, a little Central Valley, a little Tahoe, a little Death Valley, kind of just not nonsensical kind of. Um, but, you know, whether it's Garcia Harder, uh, I don't think Valadeo or Nunez is really, uh, I think his district is probably still winnable for him or he'll bounce or jump to somewhere else. Um, the third kind is like people just not liking their lines. They're like, why would you put that neighborhood with that neighborhood? Like, that's just crazy. And these lines are crazy. And like that stuff, either it's going to get worked out because the commission's going to come into an area with more of a fine tooth comb and, and figure out like in San Diego, they weren't using the San Diego neighborhood layers. And when they were drawing those lines, they weren't really cutting it up to make a final map. They were cutting it up to make like big macro structural changes. And once they got those structural changes down and all the districts are balanced, they just moved on. They'll come back and do those kind of massagings later. But those three kind of like being harmed as an incumbent is they're all very different. And, and when people say like, oh, these lines are horrible, it's important to listen to what they're talking about. Like, are they talking about a seat that was disappeared? Are they talking about a seat that just is maybe a better seat from a general redistricting perspective, but just a bad seat for them? Or are they talking about like my coffee shop's on the wrong side of the street or why would you put my favorite Mexican restaurant into another district? Well, and I, I would add that I think that um, just since this past Wednesday, suddenly the districts have been linked to individual elected officials, right? So before I was just kind of like, hey, let's talk about you know Modesto or Stockton or, or wherever, right? But now it's, that's the fill in the blank elected officials district that they have to run for. And now it's personal to them. And um, it's kind of changed the debate a little bit since Wednesday. What about districts that we, that are sort of an afterthought um, we, we don't think of, but I'm thinking of the board of equalization, which are included in these, in the redrawing. And one of the districts I saw went from, I think it was Klamath Falls, Oregon to Calexico. I mean, it went up and it went the entire inland part of the state. It was just amazing. If we learned anything from 2011 experience, it was that you don't pay attention to the Board of Equalization lines until Matt's done drawing them. Um, so if people don't get that reference, uh, check an old Capital Weekly article we wrote uh, around the last redistricting. The most interesting part last day was that Board of Equalization where Matt walked in there with an attorney said, you're oh, going to okay. have problems with Section 5 of the Federal Voting Rights Act because you've diluted the number of Asians in Monterey County. And next thing you know, they're live line drawing the entire Board of Equalization plan because Matt scared them. Well, so actually, basically yeah. drew the lines on these four huge, at least one huge district. I was thinking about that because um, I knew Paul was going to bring this up today. And actually, I think <laughs> it was because I just happened to be in the room there at McGeorge and their attorney had given them that advice. I didn't do it. I'm like, OK, well, if that's the rules, let's play. And so that I went to Monterey County and said, well, you're you know, you're you're it's retrogression. You can't do that. And they changed everything. They did. It, it was hilarious. And it's a great, uh, great redistricting tale. So if I ever do like a redistricting stories coffee book, that's going to be one of them. <laughs> I'm sure that they uh, they think it's hilarious too, Paul. The Board of Equalization members? Yes. Well, one of the Board of Equalization members wrote into Capital Weekly to dispute that, say, oh, that wasn't how it happened, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. But the, on the Board of Equalization, even this commission did it at the very last minute. I mean, if you talk about all the different areas that we've talked about, the Board of Equalization lines was a couple hour exercise at most. Well, what's cool was I didn't realize this until they actually started drawing. I was like, oh, 
52 congressional districts, that's now divisible by four. They could, you know, they could actually use the congressional districts and just nest those. How much attention does this get now? I mean, given the fact that since that happened, the, the, you know, the clout of the B of E has gone way down. So how much attention really does the commission give to the four board of no. equalization district? I don't, I, nobody cares. No, I, don't nobody, think, I mean, they didn't even know what the job was. They were like, what is the board of equalization? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure anymore that there's a job that really needs to exist. So basically we're trying to fit people now represented in 53 congressional districts into 52 congressional districts. Yeah. And what you've seen so far, I mean, from these transitory maps is that um, Lucia Royball Allard may be critically in, in danger here of either having her seat collapse change or having to run somewhere else. Is that fair to say? Yeah, but it's not about her. It's about the lack of a district there. I mean, the VRA doesn't really care necessarily about any one individual's right to a seat. What the VRA cares about is that, oh, you could draw X number of majority minority districts in Los Angeles before, and groups have come before you and presented maps to you that show they can also create X number of districts in that area. And then you come in and your plan is X minus one. And like the, the fact that you're not meeting uh, what is likely the obligation of the commission uh, to ensure that the minority populations in there have access to the same amount of representative and electoral power. Uh, and this commission uh, is probably laser focused on those things, not only from a, like, that's what they believe is their policy standpoint, but also from the standpoint of they don't want to wake up the morning after the commission finalizes their lines. And the front page article in the new, in the LA times is, you know, commission eliminates minority seat. And I've always said that I've said that since 2011, I said that this cycle that nobody wants to wake up at that front page LA times headline They've actually had it twice already. They already had an article saying commission may eliminate black seed. Now they have an article that says commission eliminates most Latino district in the country. So like, I feel as though um, unless they start getting used to that idea um, and it, you know, settles in, they want to wear that, you know, jacket for the next 10 years. Um, if they don't, I, I, they're going to have to turn around, I think, and try to figure out a way to, to fix this. Well, and the commission knew this. Justin Levitt came to them really early in the process in their first form. Deal with the Voting Rights Act early and first and understand its implications. This commission has had way more time than the previous commission from 10 years ago. Um, this should be going much more smoothly than it is. But these Voting Rights Act, some of these issues are important. And I think that um, what's what would be interesting to me when this whole thing is over is how many seats do they actually designate as Voting Rights Act seats? And then how many just have the attributes of what would be a Voting Rights Act seat. And I think this commission's inclined to declare a lot more of the areas Voting Rights Act seats where like even the Lou Correa seat wasn't a Voting Rights Act seat 10 years ago. Are there any areas out there, uh, given California's partisan makeup, but are there any areas out there in, in districts, I'm thinking of congressional districts, I guess, uh, where there's more, uh, there's a less partisan construct? Do, are there examples there where Republicans could make gains and not necessarily have this, you know, overwhelming Democratic uh, majority out there. Well, there are ways to get there, but everyone right now wants to look at these draft maps and make predictions about the 2022 and 2028 elections. These draft maps don't mean enough to try to make those projections. I think that's silly. You think having a commission is a good way to go? 
as opposed to the way we used to do it with the parties in power, they drawing the lines. I wish I our listeners could see uh, Paul Mitchell dancing happily in his seat. <laughs> well, it's and it's also because I know that I'm going to say that this is a gold standard uh, for the country and that Matt's going to roll his eyes like he just did. He, he, that's been our <laughs> thing for 10 years. <laughs> no, the, um, I am a strong, strong, strong believer in this process. If you want maps uh, that look great to all the political people and the people in the media and everybody would look at it and go, yeah, that looks like the maps that we should have. You could give me and Matt the pen and we could draw some lines that would be kind of really predictable from that perspective. But if you want maps that are reflective of different ways of thinking of communities that, you know, represent these voices of the public that have come forward that, you know, uh, aren't just drawn because we know where the elected officials are and who's running for what seat, um, then you've got this commission process. I think it's great. And the fact that it's drawing some lines that we think are weird or different, like I'm not offended by that. Uh, I think that's fine. They shouldn't all look just like we expect them to look, you know? And most of the map drawing is, is really digitalized, is computerized. Over time, it's been essentially taken over by the electronics of the digital age and, you know, the internet age. And so now anybody with a good program can do maps and make them available, right? Or make them propose them. Actually, very much so. 20 years ago, when we were drawing maps, you know, I was one of the few people with a computer that could sit down and draw with Maptitude these maps, and it wasn't out there as much. Now, you can go on Dave's redistricting app or all these different free tools out there and draw your own districts in California, and it, the public can be much more involved in that process. And, you know, Paul, I've, he said it again, so I guess I get to look forward to another decade of hearing, hearing him talk about this commission being the gold standard, and I don't even... Necessarily dispute that, but um, my question is: is is this process as good as it could be? And that's where I think we're probably going to disagree for another ten years about how um, is this commission doing as good a job as it could to keep the public informed and go through the process well. And I think there's a lot of they're leaving a lot of money on the table right now. So you're yeah, saying that, you really want to get away from the gold standard and go to a, like a federal reserve? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but uh, yeah, he wants to go crypto. But the. Um, uh, Matt and I have had some offline conversations. And one of the things I think we agree on is that um, these commissioners weren't really ever taught to draw lines. I mean, they were taught to listen to the community and, and they've been really great at, you know, having an open, transparent process. But when it came to actually drawing lines, few of them had done like this mental exercise. And it's kind of like, it would, it would be kind of like taking six months worth of feedback on what people think about the New York Times crossword puzzle and these different games and these different things and that spelling bee thing, but never actually having them do it. And then saying, okay, you've heard six months of people talking about this. Now here's the New York Times section, um, go start doing them. And they don't have that experience. It, it would have been really cool potentially for the commission to you know, pick a city in the state or a county or a different state and say, okay, we're going to talk about drawing lines. We're going to actually do some line drawing exercises and get them adept at that idea of, you know, how you make trade-offs, how you make swaps, how you do rotations, like the actual like mechanics of line drawing a little bit, because um, some of it's a little uneven playing field. It seems like of the 14 commissioners, some of them understand like commissioner Yi did this thing the other day where he's like, okay, I want to put this here. So I want to make sure you put backfill there and I want to move this over here. And he did a rotation. Um, I don't think he called it that. That's what we would call it. Um, but he did a rotation and it was pretty smooth. But then other commissioners are just like, 
well, I want this city in that district. And they don't know how to like make it all fit. And um, so there is like a little bit of a, uh, some commissioners I think are better at it than others. Um, but there, the, I think he and I agree that that would be one place this commission could be better is train them yeah, how to draw lines a little bit. Other than the incumbents and the candidates who might want to run in those districts, not a whole lot of people care. It seems to me the general public, I know there are interest groups out there that want leverage and appear, but does the general public really get involved in this? There, well, there are apparently a lot of people in Santa Clarita that can't name a nearby pizza place, but they definitely know where <laughs> the boundary is in the 25th congressional district in uh, Simi Valley. There, the, um, in, this whole, in this whole process, I think a lot of the testimony is generated from politi- people who are politically involved. That's the nature of redistricting. And I think that, you know, in the, in the after action report from this, you know, they've been getting all these calls. There's a very narrow door now, which people can be able to comment publicly. And once again, we, you know, we haven't really talked about all this has done, been done virtually, right? There's no angry room in Visalia or in uh, Riverside where people can come in and say, hey, I really want this. It totally changes the feel in terms of the way you do redistricting in a big way. Um, you know, having been in local, you know, uh, local politics before, that first meeting when you have a really angry room in front of you about an affordable housing project or the location of a jail or whatever else, that's a very different feel than simply watching on TV and then being able to turn off your phone and walk away, right? That's a, it's a, it's a different animal entirely. And so this commission, as they've been going through this process, has really, um, in terms of their time allocation, in terms of their public involvement, They've been very insulated from all of that in a really unique way that we haven't seen um, before because of this pandemic. Members of Congress have to live in their district. Uh, Excuse me. Members of Congress do not have to live in their district. Members of the legislature do. Does that play into this at all? I'm just envisioning somebody who represents Thousand Oaks, but actually lives in, you know, farmland up in Placer County or something. It just seems odd. Well, I mean, there's time to move for assembly members and state senators if they get drawn out of their district by a little bit. But there might also be collapses, you know, where like there's four members and there's three seats. Once again, these are all discussions about draft maps. And so because a lot of these members, as Paul points out, a lot of them just have to move a mile here and there based on the draft maps. Let's wait till we get the final maps. Then you can call the realtor and figure out where you want them to live. Uh, Just one last question, sort of a look ahead. The deadline for the final deed is December 27th. And then the deadline for candidates to officially declare uh, how far beyond December 27th is that? When do we know who's running and what? Well, I think this, the filing deadline is not going to be until March, but the, um, but the, I think signature in lieu opens the next day. So if you, if they adopt the maps on the 27th, which is technically their deadline, I believe you can take that signature and loot papers. When Paul runs for Congress, he can take them out on the 28th. They likely will go past, it sounds hey, like they go past December 27th, given all the delays we've had so far. But is that, is that real? No, I think that by the 24th, they're going to actually have passed the maps because they have to wait three days. So I think by Christmas Eve, uh, Matt can start getting his lawn signs for his congressional race against <laughs> Lamalfa. <laughs> so well, you're taking on McClintock, Paul, is that correct? <laughs> no, I think that uh, he has me running in Sacramento. And thankfully, we've got two Sacramento congressional districts now. Um, and we'll see which one. Uh, I'm not going to run in any of these. That's crazy. <laughs> there was a Paul Mitchell in Michigan, just the wrong Paul Mitchell. There was a Congressman Paul Mitchell. And I was stopped by his office in D.C. 
And uh, they were like, oh, you're the guy that's always in his clips. I was like, no, he's the guy that's in my clips. Like, what are you talking about? Um, but yeah, the I don't think either Matt or I are going to be running for Congress in these plans. They haven't they haven't drawn me the perfect map, you know. Well, we'll check and make sure you don't have any campaign committees formed already. So that's OK. All right. So and before uh, we let you go, uh, you know, this is the part of the episode where we always do the worst week. Who had the worst week in California politics? The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. And so who from your redistricting uh, perspective had the worst week? Would it be the, you know, whoever it was that had to decide where to cut Cal- uh, Sacramento in half? No, I, I can't think of who had the worst week. Um, the Voting Rights Act had a, had a little bit of a, a rough week with that loss of a congressional district in L.A., but I think that'll get fixed. And it's just draft maps. Yeah. OK. Um, actually, the people who have the worst week are those people who actually took the time to look at these draft maps and announce their candidacy for office. That is just a horrible week because you're not looking very smart. I can agree with that. Uh, there's a Central Valley uh, Republican who already announced that he was going to run for a seat that I think everybody uh, believes is going to be dramatically changed once they come back to go drawing again. So um, I just think that that's bad form. Uh, not only does it seem a little premature, but it also uh, makes you look kind of silly when the lines do change and you're out there with like, I'm running. Um, so uh, it, it yeah, I think that that's not a bad, not a bad call, Matt. Okay, I think we've hit two birds with one stone. We got our podcast. We got our worst week. Okay, Paul Mitchell, Matt Rexroad, thank you so much. Uh, and we'll get back to this on Christmas Eve, I guess, the twenty fourth. Maybe if we can do this on Christmas. We'll, Eve. we'll also, you know, uh, we'll we can do a that. Thanksgiving podcast because the commission's going to be these maps have to sit for fourteen days around Thanksgiving there that cracks open. And then the Monday after Thanksgiving is when they're going to start actually making changes to maps. Um, we can go all the holidays. <laughs> Great. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Thanks, and, uh, Tim Foster. Thank you very much. This is John Howard saying we will talk to you next time around. The Capital Weekly podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.